Hey, hey, local legends. Welcome to the Why We Run podcast, hosted by me, John Barnes. This week's tale from the pack comes from Dana Ayres, author of Confessions of an Unlikely Runner and likely to be the only guest we will ever have who has raced the president. This is her reason. Okay, great. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I'm excited about the background of this podcast. So I'm Dana Ayres. I'm the author of Confessions of an Unlikely Runner. And I started my running career when I was already in my 20s. So I don't consider myself athletic. I'm more of like music and dancing and arts. But I was working at the White House in Washington, D.C. with George W. Bush, who was an avid runner. He was running like I always thought it was six minute miles. Someone corrected me that it might've been slightly slower, but he was a good runner. And he frequently did 5K runs. He'd make a secret service to them. And he did a 5K race just for White House staff. And how can you say no to that, right? I had never ran before, but I was like, I'm not gonna miss out on this opportunity. So my FOMO took over. So me and my coworkers just did it. I'm sure I walked more than I ran. I was so slow that I was closer to the first lady's pace and she walked the whole thing. (laughs) So I was closer to her pace than I was the president's by far. But that's what got me to do my first race. And then I fell in love kind of from there. So DC is a really big running city. And I, you know, I did the 5K. And then the next thing I knew I was doing 10Ks, 10 milers, half marathon. And, you know, runners just like feed off each other. So my friends were then like, do a Tough Mudder obstacle course race, do a full marathon. And so I just kept doing race after race after race. And I realized the positivity in the running community. I realized I was meeting great friends through doing races and training. And then I started blogging about it. And that became a book. That's lovely. Thank you so much, Dana. You're probably going to be the only person I've ever talked to that's run with the president. Did anyone have the guts to beat him? Absolutely. And my boss, a female, actually was one of those. Backstory on her. Her father was a United States congressman, but he was also a mile record holder in the Olympics for many years. Like that record was not beaten for a long time. So she has great genes, right? She said, like, she had a moment where it's like, do you pass the president? Like, what's the protocol? And we were like, no, you pass him. Absolutely, you pass him. And she's like, yeah, of course. Of course, I pass him. And of course, President Bush, with the personality that he has, he wouldn't have wanted it any other way. He would not want anyone to hold back. So he, like, congratulated her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, it must be a really nervous moment. As you go past, you're like, do I? It's always like when you pass the police in a car. Even if you're going to speed limit, you're like, is this right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Am I going to get tackled by Secret Service? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What was it about running that really hooked you in? Honestly, it was, I think it was the positivity mostly. But then the more, because I got hooked on races. I didn't really get hooked on running. I got hooked on races. And you have to run, you know, to be in shape to do the races, which meant I started doing more training runs. And then I realized what training runs give you for the rest of your life, right? Like you learn things about yourself, about resilience, about discipline in training runs that you then take into the rest of your life. But you don't, someone can tell you that and you're not gonna, it's gonna go in one ear out the other until you do it yourself. 
And because I loved the environment and the excitement and the positivity in races, I kept doing training runs to be able to do a race. And then I realized training runs are also giving me so much mental clarity and, you know, belief in myself and all these other positive aspects that running just gives you. Now, if I'm right, the first marathon you signed up to was cancelled, right? It was cancelled. It was cut short during the race. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I spent five months training for that thing. I had never been so disciplined in my life. I was doing a program called Team and Training. And I don't know if you have that in the UK. They raise money for the Leukemia Society. And they do a big program around at least the U.S. where you can join their training team for, I think, half marathons and full marathons. And they'll give you all this training and they'll support you during the race in exchange for raising funds for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It's a great, great program. I met lifelong friends, you know, that I'm still good friends with to this day through that training team. So we were, <laughs> we were training for five months for the Country Music Half Marathon or sorry, the country music full marathon in Nashville, Tennessee. So when we get there, we're all excited, you know, like, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And a tornado watch happens. (laughs) People are holding up signs like run faster than the tornado. The skies are gray. Like it's so ominous. And I'm so slow that I had not made it to the halfway point by their like calculations. So they were like, you have to be diverted to finish at the half because you're never going to finish the full by the time we get the race. So I like almost cried. <laughs> so devastated. But, you know, we finished at the half and we all immediately just looked for another race to quickly get into to like take advantage of all that training that we had already put in. So that was going to be my question. Were you tempted to use that as an excuse to bail? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I was like, I'm training all this time. I am finishing a full, I still have a country music full marathon medal, but it's like, it's not real. I didn't really finish that one. I had to finish a real one. So I lived in DC at the time. I didn't want to have to travel again to do another one. And so I've tried to find one that was close to DC and Wilmington, Delaware was doing their like, gosh, I don't know, fifth annual. Like it was such a small it's like 600 people that were in the race compared to Nashville that's so supported and it has at like 30,000 runners. So it was quite a culture shock and kind of hilarious. We had to do two laps around Wilmington because it's so small. It couldn't get like 26 miles for us to run, but I did it. So me and two other runners from Nashville all came together in Delaware and finished about a month later, I think. I love some of those small events though. But out of the ones you've done, what have been your favorite races and events? So I do love obstacle course races. The Tough Mudder was my most significant one because I think it's close to 12-ish miles and like 26 obstacles. Because I've done other small ones, but they're usually 5Ks. But Tough Mudder was tough, right? (laughs) That's the name. (laughs) It took my team four hours to finish. And it was just so fun. It's kind of it's definitely challenging, but it's also kind of like a giant jungle gym that you're just crawling over and getting muddy and helping each other. Like you're pushing strangers up on things. And that was really fun. And again, I have friends to this day from my Tough Mudder training group. And then I've also been involved in some relay races. So like Ragnar, are you familiar with 
Ragnars. That might be a U.S. thing as well. They do those all over the U.S. And they're basically like two days. You have a team of either six or 12 runners. You live in a van and you just like leapfrog each other until you finish at the end of the course. But then a different relay that I did, my friends created because the Boston Marathon bombing happened and the running community felt that so deeply. And so my running friends were like, we've got to do something. We want to raise funds for for Boston. Like we've got to do something. So they created a relay from Tennessee to Boston, which is a really long distance. And they got, I think, 26 runners. Gosh, I need to look back at my statistics on this one. We had this like a couple of different vans that were constantly leapfrogging, but we, we had like a GPS device. And someone always kept the race going for, I think it was five days, four, four to six days it took us to do this overnight, you know, day and night. And we arrived in Boston right before the next year's Boston Marathon. And we had a check to Boston area um, charities. And that was so meaningful. Like I, I tear up every time I talk about it. It was so amazing to see people rally around the cause and then to be able to take part in the environment around the Boston Marathon that year it was just amazing yeah that just sounds phenomenal I like to figure the the difference between sort of trails obstacle courses um, normal marathons I mean I've I've done most now my first ultra was the Spartan ultra so 50 kilometers 60 obstacles and I had no idea what I was getting into I thought (laughs) 50 kilometers I thought all right that could take you know 10 kilometers an hour five hours obstacles minute at a time I'll be done in six hours (laughs) nine hours I was out there (laughs) I came fourth in my age group as well so there are people out there a lot longer and I was like wow the hell is this thing (laughs) but it's still probably one of my most fun ones because you break up the running amongst so much crazy stuff and you end up in that time when you're on the obstacles you end up talking to a lot of people because you have that stop (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh yeah I helped the guy find his tooth because he he had knocked it out on one of the obstacles in Tough Mudder so yeah you you bond with the fellow runners oh dear Um, (laughs) when things get tough in your races what are the motivators that that drive you on? One thing is definitely remembering people who can't run. That's a trick that I often use because I, in my own life, I have friends who, I have one friend who um, was a police officer. She was doing a training, jumping out of the building. She was supposed to do, but when she landed, like Matt separated that was supposed to catch her and she was paralyzed from the waist down. And she went on to like, her resilience is amazing. She was like, okay, this is, this is my life now. And what am I going to do about it? So she joined like the USA women's hockey, you know, para like sledding hockey team. Like she just did not let it stop her. But I think of her and I think of people like that, that can't use their body as it is to run, like to just feel the movement of running. That will, you know, if you're feeling tired in a race, something like that will be like, okay, I have nothing to complain about. I should use the gift I have of being able to use my, to just run my body. Do you use visualization a fair bit? I'm thinking of, because you turn to writing your blog and your book, are you quite that creative mindset that you could almost tell your story for you as you're going through a race? <laughs> or is that thinking <laughs> far too much? <laughs> no, that, no, that's actually true. I do. 
I think I do take in data, especially in races, like, oh, I'm going to write about that later. Like, oh, that little girl that was handing out marshmallows with her dad, you know, to the racers or like in DC, especially there's a lot of injured service members. And so especially around when we were still in Afghanistan and still in Iraq, a lot of the soldiers would lose limbs, right? They would have prosthetic legs that they were running on. And so I'd take mental notes of that, like, I'm going to write about this later. So that helps. I don't usually visualize like athletes are supposed to visualize where you, you know, you plan out your race and you picture yourself running across the finish line. I never plan out a race. I don't even look at the elevation. Like, I'm always just surprised in the middle of a race, like, oh, there's a hill. I, I could have known that, but I didn't. And then I think the only thing I visualize, like with the marathon, I visualize putting that 26.2 sticker on my car when I was done. But otherwise, I don't, I don't think I, I visualize myself crossing finish lines to get through. That's not one thing I typically do. I've talked in previous episodes on the podcast about the benefits of journaling and how it's, it's impacted my life. Can you expand on how blogging initially impacted and helped you and then what motivated you to write the book? Yeah, absolutely. So the blog, it's <laughs> not, not a noble story. I was getting my master's degree and I did not want to do homework and I just wanted to write about what I wanted to write. And I was posting on Facebook a lot at that time and people would react to my stories well. They'd be like, oh, that's hilarious or oh, I'm so glad you shared this. You should start a blog. And so I was like, well, I don't want to do homework. I'll start a blog. <laughs> Literally, my blog started as a procrastination tool against my master's homework. So that's how it started. And I was just blogging about my life. So it was not only my fitness adventures, but it was also work adventures, dating adventures, and travel. So then I did that for like four years and people kept saying, you know, oh, you should write a book. And in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, that would be fun one day. And then randomly a coworker introduced me to a publisher and the rest is history. So I was like, well, I have this blog and she guided me to pick one of those. She's like, well, there's no one in the market for a book on your dating life, running life, work life, travel life, but pick one of those topics and there's an audience there. And I was like, I have a lot of running stories and I feel like my stories, since I'm not athletic, I'm super slow, but I can still get through these races. So I feel like everyone can get through these races. So I was hoping it would be an inspiration and entertainment. And that's how the book was formed. And without giving too much away from the book, can you give your favorite confession or confessions? <laughs> So in the marathon chapter, I had an unfortunate wardrobe malfunction. So that's, <laughs> that's one of my favorite stories, how that all came about. Yeah, I mean, the same with the relay to Boston, that there's a whole chapter dedicated to our journey in that chapter that I love. And I know people have um, responded well to that. So yeah, all my races are like, they're like children, right? You love them each for different reasons. So it's hard to pick just one. But yeah, I try to share as much as I can, honestly, in the book about failures and just why I keep going because the sport is so amazing and it's so positive. No, great. We'll do a link on the podcast to the book for the listeners to learn some of your, some of your interesting stories. Thank um, you. Can you explain the impact of COVID and, and lockdown for you and how it was in the U.S.? Oh gosh, yeah. I had moved from DC by that point down to North Carolina. And I feel like there's two people during COVID. There's the people that were like, oh, I'm going to 
go full force into self-improvement. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to make my own food. I'm going to work out. I was in the other camp. (laughs) I was like, life is meaningless. I'm here alone. I'm going to just like eat all the fattening things and watch TV for 10 hours straight. (laughs) And I lost all of my running ability, right? Like I, you know, I used to run five miles a day, five days a week regularly. And I went now today, because I'm just now trying to build back up. I'm doing a couch to 5k app, like on my phone, because I'm a beginner again. Yeah, I think that it would have been so much better for me to focus on healthy ways to cope during COVID. But we just all had to exist, right? You just did whatever it took to comfort yourself and get through. So I give myself grace for that. But now it's time to like get back to business and get back in shape. Yeah. What's driving you to to get back? Is it more to do more races or the benefits you started to find from the training runs and the impact that it has on you? It's more the benefits. It's also that I have a book on running. (laughs) Do you feel the pressure? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, I wrote this book and now I'm like, well, I don't really run anymore. It's more the benefits because I miss runs. Like I miss my daily runs. I literally did work out emotions and get mental clarity on decisions during my runs. And so I missed it and I know better. I know that I need to do it. It was just, I don't know, it was a bridge too far at the time for me to actually get out and put discipline in and do the run. But now I'm getting back to, you know, you do a couple and then you're like, oh yeah, I remember how great this feels. But I do have a race because I was signed up for a half marathon at the beginning of COVID. It was a rock and roll series, which is a big uh, race series in the U.S., and they randomly out of no, literally the same week that I downloaded the Couch to 5K app, they emailed me and were like, hey, that race that you signed up for three years ago, you want to do a free one? So I signed up for the DC half marathon. It's next March. So I have time, but that's my race that I'm working towards now, slowly. And are you someone in the training that likes to have a structure and a plan or will you just throw on your trainers, go out and run as far as you want or can on a day? I'm, I live my whole life the second way that you said, like I pretty much just throw my, throw my clothes on and see what's going to happen. It doesn't go well, right? Like the more races you do, you realize, oh yeah, I really actually should have trained for that, especially the older I get. So in my 20s, I could just be like, I'm going to run a 10 miler in two weeks and I'd be okay. Now that would like break me. So I need structure. I fight against it, but I know it's necessary. And since I've started doing this couch to 5k training plan, it's reinforced that I need a plan. For one thing, it's kind of outsourcing decision-making. And then I don't have to think about like, how long should I go today to make sure I'm on track? It's already done for me, which is kind of nice. I think the thing that's really coming through from talking to you is how self-aware you are. People that I've spoken to, if you've gone and done marathons in the past, and then lockdown comes, they say, you know, you you give a bit of a grace period for yourself and have a good time. Some people would then think they could go straight back and be marathon runners again. And it would cause them so many injuries and pain along the way. But you're saying, okay, I acknowledge you know, I've had a good time. And you're going back this couch to 5K with no ego of, oh, I should be able to run a marathon. You're building back up in a really smart way that many people wouldn't do. 
Thank you for that. Yeah, because I know, I know those injuries will come, especially as I age. Yeah, I mean, I think that's anything in life too. Like you always need to go back to the fundamentals and you shouldn't feel embarrassed about that because honestly, the great the people who are the greatest at what they do in the world have mastered the fundamentals and continue to work on those fundamentals to this day. So going back to a couch to 5k program, to me, it's just like, yeah, that's what I should do if I want to keep running. And if I want to build my endurance back up. Because you do have that awareness, I want to ask, what advice would you give to people either like they say during lockdown and, and COVID that stopped running or people just looking to take that first step? What do you think is most important? Start out slower than you think. Because I think a lot of people get frustrated right away with running because they're running too fast and they feel like, oh, I can't do this. Like I can't breathe. I'm just not built for this. And it's because they're not going painfully slow at first. And think about your why, because it's easy to be excited about a plan for the first week, <laughs> just like New Year's resolution, but it always fades. Always, it's going to fade. And you're going to need something bigger than that to keep yourself going. And that's your foundational why. And for me, a lot of times my why is that I know it's going to give me better mental health and better emotional stability. And I know I'm going to feel better about myself if I'm in better shape. And I, I have to keep the end game in mind to get myself to slog through the miles over the next you know, week, month, couple months, few months. But you've got to attach yourself to that bigger why and not just, oh, I'm going to do a training plan and it's awesome because then there's going to be days you don't want to do that plan. You've got to have something bigger drawing you. But you're building yourself back up now. You've got the race next March. Are you looking at one step at a time or have you got any big goals and plans for, for the future? I mean, I want to get some races between now and then. That's a long time away. And, you know, going from zero to 13 is... You know, I would like to do some 5Ks, some 10Ks. So I need to, I need to start looking for some local races. But then I also am in the Navy Reserve here in the U.S. And part of my job in that is being in shape. <laughs> so um, usually have a run test. I am usually the last one across the finish line and I'm okay with that. But I have to meet a minimum standard. So that's always a goal that I have too, is to like maintain that minimum standard. But yeah, right now I'm just putting one foot in front of the other and taking as small of steps as I need to keep myself motivated. Because if I tried to do a 5K tomorrow, I would be completely frustrated because I would have to walk most of it. So I'm, I'm trying to have a lot of grace with myself and like, let's run a minute, walk a minute, and then we'll build up from there. And I think that's going to serve me well, hopefully. And like I say, that that self-awareness is so important to have. So thanks, Dana, for for really laying that out on this. So Confessions of an Unlikely Runner, I'll put a link on the podcast um, for all our listeners to, to take a look at. Before I let you go, I've got some quick fire questions for you, if, uh, if you feel ready. Woo, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, trail or road? Oh, trail. Wind or rain? Rain. Hot or cold? Cold. Up or downhill? Down. Music or nature? Music. Group or solo? Group. And when you finish, cake or sweets? 
Uh, or, or anything else you might I don't know what your go-to <laughs> your go-to would be at the end of a race um I'm never hungry at the end of a race but probably like a meal like I wouldn't I wouldn't want sweets right away so I'm straight away into the cake it's uh, <laughs> an excuse I think it's the main reason that I run <laughs> <laughs> that comes eventually just not like right after <laughs> no that's lovely Dana thank you so much for joining us it's been a real pleasure and yeah. I wish you all the best for the rest of the, the Couch to 5K and the, and the races you have coming up. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thanks. And local legends, if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like or follow on whatever platform you listen to. We'll be back next week with another inspiring tale from the pack. Happy trails all.